Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Podma. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to another exciting season of the Identity Podcast on the Podmoth Media Network, your bi-weekly foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. I can't believe it's season eight already, can you? Time sure flies when you're spooking up the internets. This season will feature the usual six episodes, the last being an interview. Merch is still available on the Bonfire site. Featured right now is the Oddness Day shirt. The Oddness in Me honors the Oddness in You. These shirts are beautiful quality and are honestly some of the softest shirts that I have in my closet. If you'd like to check out what's on offer, head on over to bonfire.com forward slash store forward slash OP merch. I've also set up a TikTok for this podcast. Find me there at IdentityPod. This week, I bring you a special episode about the Bel Air House and the book Paranormal Confessions by Kristen Lee. The stories surrounding the property are many, and some of them are truly disturbing. But for the purposes of this episode, I won't go into too much detail about the paranormal happenings simply because the book was only released this year, and if you want to know all the details, you should really pick up a copy. It's a great read, especially since we're heading into spooky season. And now, on with the show. When I was a kid, there was one house in our neighborhood that creeped me out. At one point in time, when I was old enough to remember, a family lived there. They kept mostly to themselves, but my grandmother always seemed to have the 411 on all things related to the neighbors. She said that the little girl lived there with her parents, but her father was abusive and an alcoholic, and eventually the family split up, the little girl and her mother going one way, and the father going another. Divorce was pretty common for 80s families. 
my friend and I would always play in the front yard of that old house. And as it got on in years, the paint began to peel and the shingles on the roof began to flutter like autumn leaves to the ground. Every windstorm took another piece, another shred of the old house, until it was little more than a shell. The door stayed intact, and you couldn't get inside, but you could look in the front windows, two lifeless eyes on either side of the front door, and catch a glimpse of what life may have been like while it was occupied. In time, the grass grew tall and weeds took over. My friend and I would walk around the back of the house and make paths in the small grass and weeds into the front yard. We stamped down all the vegetation and spent hours just sitting in there reading comics or talking about whatever was going on in our lives. Sometimes we'd catch crickets and find shapes in the clouds. I remember waking up after midnight and spending time watching the windows across the street, trying to catch a glimpse of any strange comings and goings. A few times I saw lights in the window, dull and wispy. Once I thought I saw a man standing in the window to the left of the door. I waved, but he didn't wave back. We all seem to have that one house in our memory, from either a street we lived on in childhood or a location that we remember from a previous address. The one that looks creepy from the outside, is abandoned and falling in on itself, or has occupants that leave something to be desired, either living or dead. Every person I've personally ever talked to about haunted places or the paranormal has had a story about a creepy old house. They're common, which is why this particular tale jumped out at me. It's about Bel Air House, located at 1699 Belmont Street in Bel Air, Ohio. Another reason why I was drawn to the topic is likely how I found out about it. I usually get a lot of recommendations for topics that are sent to the podcast email. I've had a few emails sitting in there, but my wife had asked me to order something for her on Amazon. I popped onto the Amazon site and added the requested item to the cart, only to realize that there was another item already there. No biggie, I thought. I frequently add items to the cart, and then I get distracted by something shiny, and I never follow through. I checked the cart, and the other item was a book called Paranormal Confessions by Kristen Lee. I'd never heard of the book. I'd also never added it to my cart. It was just there. I read through the synopsis and decided that it would be a great book to take up north with me. We spent a week in a family cabin that's in the north woods for summer vacation. Given that it's darker than pitch at night up there, and the sound of the woods creaking trees, scurrying animals, and rustling branches, really creates a great ambiance for a ghost story. Fun fact, the cabin is only a 15-minute drive from the location of the Summerwind Mansion. So, I bought the book, and I took it with me. I think I read the whole thing in about four days. So, get comfy, and turn on a few extra lights if you need to. Things are about to get spooky. On the banks of the Ohio River sits a house. It probably looks a lot like the houses you remember from your childhood, the ones rumored to be haunted. 
The difference here is, according to many a paranormal enthusiast, professional hunter of the paranormal, and medium, this house is actually haunted. Like, really haunted. It may even be one of the most haunted places on Earth. Apparitions have been seen. There have been numerous unexplainable phenomena, and some who have visited Bel Air House have even been attacked by the entities inside. The house has also been the subject of a show on TLC called Paranormal Lockdown, and gained a sort of macabre fame. From BelairHouseTours.com, quote, In 1847, Jacob Hetherington built the Bel Air House in the vicinity of sacred Shawnee Native American burial caves. Those caves were right behind the Bel Air House, and the Ohio River is right in the front. Physics proves that water is a portal, because it's always moving, and the magnetic pull of the water creates a powerhouse of energy, where spirits can cut through earthbound gravity and gain energy to port back and forth from their dimension to ours. The craziest part is that the portal sits right under Bel Air House. This area is still known as the Native American internment area. Native Americans who lived in this area used to bury their leaders, chieftains, shamans, healers, and witch doctors in these caves. They used to hold their ceremonies in this area, and they practiced magic. In 1754, the French and Indian War rampaged through Bel Air. The native massacres by the hands of French soldiers were large. Blood still stains the ground of the entire town of Bel Air. The residual energy of the slaughter still seeps inside the soil today. End quote. Now, whether or not you believe all that, the house is also located on a ley line, which apparently serves to ramp up already high levels of paranormal activity. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, everyone seems to know one of those houses. The ones that are abandoned and let off kind of a creepy vibe. Bel Air House is no different than the creepy house down your block in that sense. People in Ohio had stories about haunted happenings while the location was vacant. And those tales persist. Neighbors claimed that they would see figures roaming around the house and faces peeking out through the windows. In terms of where Bel Air House ranks, it's somewhere amongst the Amityville Horror House in New York and the LaLaurie House in New Orleans. Jacob Hetherington, the fellow who built Bel Air House, was a coal mining tycoon. He owned all of the coal mines in the Ohio Valley and there was a mine that ran directly beneath the Bel Air House property. He's said to have been a humble fellow, and even worked the mines with his employees and his mule named Jack. The nursery rhyme, The House That Jack Built, is actually about the mule that helped him expand his coal mining business and build his mansion. It's also said that the house was a stop in the Underground Railroad, and that many runaway slaves made their way to the Ohio River and onward to freedom on the property. It's believed some of those spirits remain. There are many members of the Hetherington family who still reside in Bel Air House. Upon Jacob Hetherington's passing in 1904, Alexander, his middle son, inherited the coal mining business and the house. 
Alexander was plagued with what his psychologist called business troubles that caused the trouble of domestic relations, and he was committed to Athens Asylum for the Insane in Athens, Ohio. He suffered from partial paralysis as well as epilepsy, and he spent the remainder of his days in the asylum. His daughter Lyde took over ownership of the house and resided there with her younger brother Edwin after he was discharged from military service. Lyde reportedly died in the living room of the house in 1947, and Edwin, consumed with grief, did everything in his power to communicate with his sister in the great beyond. He held seances to try and contact her, and it's said that the activity caused portals to be opened throughout Bel Air House. The portals remain open to this day and allow various energies and spirits to move in and out of the house freely. Edwin brought an endless parade of psychics and mediums through the house, hoping to regain contact with his sister. Edwin's remaining family took the house from him and forced him out, but after his passing in 1962, Edwin's spirit returned to the house. Kristen Lee, the current owner, now keeps a chair open for Edwin at every seance performed in the house, and she refers to it as Edwin's seat. Anyone who sits there is guaranteed to have some sort of paranormal experience because Edwin isn't a fan of being ousted from the circle. From Paranormal Confessions It's very important to us at Bel Air House that we honor and respect Edwin as the main psychic medium of the house. No one else is as successful as he is at communicating with us. Because he's a spirit, he has his own ways of contacting his fellow spirits who inhabit the house. Sometimes before investigations or events, I say, Edwin, please go find Lyde. Please bring her to the table so we can ask her permission to have an event at the house. We have always received this permission, thanks, we think, to Edwin's intervention. It's very important when establishing communication with the spirit to be polite and to speak your intent clearly. When I start my seance sessions, I always ask Edwin to join in. I begin by requesting that he say his name to confirm that he's here with us. In the past, I've had people challenge me, asking me how I can know that the spirit communicating with me is truly Edwin and not an imposter. But when Edwin comes through, he tells me his name is Ed. I always feel reassured that it is, indeed, Edwin himself, and not another entity impersonating him. The spirit of Lyde has also made its presence known, as she was Edwin's caretaker when he was a child. His mother Eliza played a less active role in his upbringing, so Lyde takes up that position during communications with the other side. Jacob, Edwin, Lyde, and Eliza are the four dominant spirits in the house, and they frequently communicate with visitors. Kristen Lee has experienced unseen forces, voices, and footsteps while in the house. From the Daily Mail, quote, Kristen was napping on the couch when she was awakened by a presence next to her. 
She opened her eyes to discover a man's grayish figure in a cap. She screamed in terror and demanded to know who he was. The man said nothing in response, got up from the couch, made his way to the foyer, and vanished into thin air. Lee noted that her boyfriend and son were asleep at the time, but the family dog appeared panic-stricken. She also pointed out that it was so cold in the room that she could see her breath. Lee says that this was her first startling encounter with the supernatural inside the house, which she would later dub a portal to hell. In the following months, Lee and her family would allegedly experience strange voices and footsteps, objects moving on their own, and ghostly figures popping out out of nowhere. It came to a point where Lee sent her youngest son to stay with her parents, and her oldest with his father, because she feared for their safety inside the house. Things finally came to a head one evening, when Lee says that the family dog was hurled against the bedroom wall by an invisible force, which at some point pinned her down, rendering her motionless. After that incident, Lee and her family promptly decided to move and to rent out the house, but her tenants didn't linger there either. One family that briefly called Bill Air House their home allegedly lost six of eight family members while residing at 1699 Belmont Street. Kristen Lee then tried to offload the house by selling it to the town of Bel Air for a dollar, but there were no takers, as the locals were well aware of its bad reputation. The solution to Lee's predicament came from an unexpected quarter, when she teamed up with 22-year-old Marine Corps veteran Jim Johnson to transform the infamous residence into a paranormal tourist destination, complete with its own website and Facebook page. Lee and Johnson have opened the residence to ghost hunters and paranormal sleuths, urging them to visit the property and to try to get to the bottom of its many unexplained mysteries. End quote. Lee believes that there are five factors creating something of a perfect storm of paranormal activity at Bel Air House. The first, the flow of water from the Ohio River creating an energy vortex. The second, the massacre of Native Americans and the torture of slaves. Third, a fire and explosion that killed coal miners in 1893 in coal mine number one. Bel Air House sits atop that mine. Four, the constellations in the night sky and the stars that align above the property. And five, the deaths that occurred inside the house. Many paranormal investigators who visit the house are drawn to the attic where the spirit of the gray man resides. At one point, the gray man had requested that the attic be painted blue, saying that if the room were painted this color, he would be content there. But shortly after the task was complete, the other spirits became noisy. Lee believes that by granting this request, she opened a door of some kind. From Paranormal Confessions If there's one room in Bel Air House that has held more fascination for paranormal investigators than any other, it's probably the attic. Even in the early days when I was still searching for any reason besides the paranormal for why my new house felt so strange, 
It was hard for me to deny that there was something going on in the attic. The attic is quite a large room, with wood floors and a high ceiling. I thought it might be perfect for a recording studio, and in a way it is, although what I originally had in mind was to record music and not EVPs. The attic was where I first heard phantom footsteps, alerting me to the fact that we were not alone in the house. Despite all of my early reservations, my attempts to convince myself that I was tired, that I was traumatized, that my new house was normal, it was clear from the start that there was something lurking in the attic. There is a long, dark cubbyhole in the left wall that is deep enough for a person or even several people to hide. Through both our spiritual communication and our research into the house's history, we've come to believe that a number of African-American slaves hid in the cubbyhole as part of their journey along the Underground Railroad. Today we can only imagine how frightening it must have been to hide in that attic, which was too hot in the summer and too cold in the winter, pressed together for safety, waiting silently for the chance to move toward freedom. We now believe that an evil entity was already a resident of the attic when these runaways huddled there. Did they encounter it and its malice? What other horrors did it heap upon them? We know that one of the house's eleven portals opens within this cubbyhole, and that, in many ways, the house is like a record player whose needle sometimes gets caught in the grooves of time, creating sort of a dimensional distortion in which energy imprints itself through traumatic events on the very fabric of the house's reality. The deeper the trauma, the deeper the groove. And the deeper the groove, the more the metaphoric needle skips. The house contains all manner of negative entities who are more than capable of doing harm. And there are many tales of harm done to individuals who believe the ghostly residents of the house are fiction or not to be taken seriously. Now, I could list off all of the experiences that every visitor has had within the walls of Bel Air House, but I'd be doing Kristen Lee a great injustice. Her book lays out these experiences in detail, and I think that everyone should take a few days to sit down with the text and dig through it. But here are a couple of highlights to wet your creepy whistle. On one occasion when Edwin's chair was not kept open for him, the chandelier in the dining room began swinging. Kristen informed the assembled seance group that the chair must be kept open for Edwin, but the group again refused, and they put a doll on Edwin's seat. At that point, a bulb in the chandelier exploded. Bishop Long serves as Bishop of the United States Old Catholic Church and has somewhat of a reputation for his relationship with the paranormal. When he toured the first floor of the house for the first time, he stated that there was a heaviness there and that it grew heavier as he approached the staircase to the second floor. As he made his way to the top of those stairs, he claimed the feeling that he'd had was similar to other demonic cases that he'd been called to. When he reached the top, he felt a force push him backwards, trying to force him back down. 
Several recording devices were set up in that location. Caught on one recording was a voice saying the words, Bishop, out. Demon, dark. Everyone present that particular day had some sort of paranormal experience. Take some time. Read Kristen's book. You won't be sorry. That's it for this week, dear listeners. Tune in next time for more tales of the creepy, weird, and paranormal. Until then, stay spooky. The Identity Podcast is brought to you by host Janine Mercer, and the music was created using GarageBand. Find The Odd Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at IdentityPod, and on Facebook as The Identity Podcast. A transcript of this episode will be available at theidentitypodcast.wordpress.com. Got a paranormal experience to share? Send those along to theidentitypodcast at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment to mash that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Don't forget to tell your friends, family, and coworkers about this podcast. Every little bit helps. For another spooky and funny podcast to add to your rotation, check out Anything Bones, now part of the Podmoth Network. Hey, Boneheads, I'm Sophie Schwartz. And I'm Caitlin Hart. And we're the hosts of Anything Bones, the podcast where we talk about bones and bone-related topics. So, what are bone-related topics? Thank you for asking, Caitlin. This can be anything from mausoleums to murderers, famous skeletons to cadaver dogs, bone churches, mummies, serial killers. You'll hear about them all. And sometimes we have guests stop by and tell us their favorite bony tales. Check out Anything Bones on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever your little heart desires. We release new episodes every Saturday. Bone Voyage! Bon voyage.